We have uh, been working through a lesson on the 12 disciples, more specifically the apostles. Uh, we've talked about them in three groups of four. We started with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. That's the first group. Peter tends to be the, the main spokesman for all of the disciples. He's also the head of that first group. Uh, Peter is, uh, as far as a, a disciple goes, uh, Peter's a great reminder that we don't have to have our act together for God to use us, that we, we're a work in progress, and that, that you see that really in the life of Peter. Uh, then we talked about Andrew and the idea of bringing people to Christ, and that, that one of our jobs is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. And he was a great uh, reminder and lesson for that. Then we talked about uh, James and John, sons of thunder, two hot-headed guys that God used in a great way. James uh, later learns the idea of... Uh, adding mercy to his temperament, and we find John adding love to his deal. And so they become known really later on for the mercy and, and love that they have. Then we got to that, that second group um, that we don't talk about a whole lot, but Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. And uh, Philip was a great reminder about missing the big picture, that sometimes we don't quite get the big picture of it. And Bartholomew or Nathaniel, sometimes as he's called, has the idea of uh, the, the, we have to be careful of our prejudices. He was the one that said, you know, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? We talked about Matthew, the tax collector, literally uh, one of the most despised occupations of the day and that Jesus chose him and, and used him in a great way. And um, then we talked about Thomas. Often we refer to as Doubting Thomas, but really he had this heroic pessimism, this idea that Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere, and if it means die, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do that. Then we got into that last group of disciples, ones that we're not, we don't talk about a lot. We talked about the idea of um, James, the son of Alphaeus. We talked about Simon the Zealot, Judas, Labius Thaddeus, not Iscariot, and then this morning we're going to look at Judas Iscariot. And then next week we're going to kind of wrap up some stuff, and we're also going to talk about Matthias, who's the, uh, the replacement for Judas. Uh, and we talked about different things. James the last, we call him that just because he was the other James, and yet he's not talked about as much, but yet he has just as much of a significance in the kingdom of God. And uh, that, that's important for us to, to, to remember. Uh, we talked about Simon the zealot, the idea that God didn't look at his past and hold it against him. Even though he was a zealot, and by the way, we think maybe Judas Iscariot may have been as well. Even though he was a, a zealot, um, God didn't, didn't you, Jesus didn't hold that against him, and Jesus was still able to, to use that, uh, use him in a great way. And then last week we talked about um, Judas as uh, Labius Thaddeus, not Iscariot, uh, who was really the gentle-souled disciple. And he has this, this, this kind of meekness and compassion for other people. This morning we're going to talk about Judas Iscariot, all right? And so as all of you know, if you don't know by now, Judas betrayed Christ, right? Uh, he's the one who betrayed Christ. We're going to look into that this morning a little bit. Um, his name, like, like Judas, means uh, Jehovah leads, but the ir irony of it is really Satan is the one who led and um, directed in his life. Um, I had her leave this map up. Here's why. All of the disciples came from this area, Galilee, with one exception, and that is Judas Iscariot. Judas came from down here in Judea. 
is the only disciple that was not from Galilee. Uh, all of the other disciples had uh, were were from that area, and so in some ways people look at him kind of as the the outcast of uh, of the disciples. We believe that he may. Some people believe that he may have been a zealot, just very much like Simon. Uh, some people believe that he was named after Judas Maccabeus. If you know anything about the the whole Maccabee thing, um, he was a hero really of the Jewish people, and so he was a very very important figure. Uh, he was able to really deliver the Jews from oppression, and uh, that became uh, kind of a, a a big guy in Jew in the Jewish world. Uh, one of the things about Judas is that he's always mentioned in context of the betrayal. So anytime we see him mentioned, it usually has something to do with the fact that he betrayed Jesus. He's the only disciple that we have where we have uh, just about everything negative about him. We don't see much positive about him. He's, he really stands as a negative example um, for the, the idea. What I want you to understand this morning, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this idea, is that Judas, no one suspected Judas. Now, that's incredibly significant. No one suspected him. Even when Jesus, and we're going to see this, even when Jesus says, one of you betrays me, and they ask who it is, and he says, the one I'm giving the sop to, and he dips the bread in, and he hands it to Judas, even at that point, the disciples don't think it's Judas. So that's important. That's going to be important to to our story. Um let me go a little bit into the Old Testament real quick. And i got a ton of verses today, so I'm going to throw them up. I'm going to try not to read them all, but I probably will. So anyway, um, uh, they're up there to read if I don't get to them. But here, let, let me show you a couple passages in the Old Testament uh, where, it, where this is foretold. Um, and you see it, uh, Psalm and uh, Zechariah. Uh, guys got it? Um, uh you know, for it's not an enemy who approaches me, I could bear it, nor is it one who hates me, who exalted himself. Then I could hide it, but it was you, a man of my equal, a companion of my acquaintance. Then I said that I'm as agreeable to you, give me my wages, if not refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, and they princely set a uh, price on, set on me, and they took 30 pieces of silver and threw it to the house of the Lord for the potter. Uh, we'll talk about how this, this applies, but what I want you to understand is this. All the way back in the Old Testament, this thing was foretold. So here's what you need to know. From day one, when Jesus said, when Judas followed Jesus and Jesus chose Judas as a disciple, from day one, Jesus knew this was the guy. I want that to sink in for a minute. Because here's the thing. Even though Jesus knew, not once, and the entire three years of Jesus and the disciples working together, did he give any clue to the other 11 guys that this was the guy? Now, he would say stuff, you know, he would say stuff like, one of you, you know, did I not choose 12? John 6 says, did I not choose 12? Um, and one of you will betray me? But nobody, it wasn't like he went, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over in this town, and there's going to be a lot of healing, and we're going to heal a whole bunch of people. And so you 11 go, Judas, you just stay back and keep the fire. Not once do we ever find anything that Jesus does that hints 
that Judas is the guy. Judas Iscariot's the guy. Now, let that sink into you. How do you respond with somebody who has hurt you or somebody who you know is going to hurt you? And I mean, this is the ultimate of betrayals. So, you know, I want, I want that to see again because it, that becomes very, very important. We're going to see that at the very end when, when, when Jesus and them uh, do that. Now, the Old Testament foretells it. That doesn't mean that Judas's fate was cast. Judas had a choice. But God just happened to know what he was going to choose. And um, so we're going to walk through it. Let me give you two realms of thought on Judas. Uh, I go back and forth between the two. I could argue either one. Um, and depending on the day, um, I can, uh, depending on the day, I could, uh, in the mood, I'll, I'll jump back and forth here. Um, I think I can make a strong argument for both. There's two ideas behind that, the betrayal of Jesus. The main idea, the one that we most of, uh, often um, embrace, is the idea that Judas had this treachery in his heart from day one. That Judas was a fake and a phony and a thief, and he was that way from day one. He just tried to be a, he was a really good hypocrite, and he covered it all up. And in the end, he betrayed Christ because that's who he was. That's one theory, okay? There's another theory that says this. Judas was a good guy. And Judas, for whatever reason, his ambition, whatever else, he really believed that Jesus was going to be king and that the disciples that were following him were going to rule with him. And so what Judas did was, as he continued to follow Christ, he could see that Jesus wasn't, like, taking the kingdom and ruling like he should. So Jesus, or Judas, makes a deal with the chief priests so that they would come by force and try to take Jesus. And what Jesus would do would be stand up and rise up against them and defeat them and establish his kingdom. So the idea is that Judas was trying to push Jesus up front, so to speak, so that Jesus would rule. And it was kind of a win-win for Judas because if if Jesus fought them and took over rule, then now Judas is ruling with everybody. And if Jesus was a fake and a phony, then Judas had, had realized and acknowledged that early, and he doesn't have to follow him anymore. When Jesus doesn't fight Rome, then Judas in his heart realizes that he's betrayed innocent blood, and that it wasn't a physical kingdom Jesus was talking about, it was a, it was a spiritual kingdom, and Judas can't handle that in the guilt, and he takes his life. So, there's two main thoughts with Judas, okay? Pick one, or pick them both. I don't care. It doesn't really make any difference. Um, we, we're, but I want you to understand that a lot of times we automatically put Jesus, uh, Judas in this group, and he may go into that group, okay? Uh, you know, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, too, all right? Um, so let's talk about what, what changes in his heart. Let's talk about... A couple of instances where we start to see his heart. The first one, the main one's in John chapter 12. Um, here's what it says. Uh, let me give you the background for the story first. Um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're, they're all eating together with Jesus. They're all meeting together and they're, they're, they're fellowshipping and they're, they're having a great time. And you remember the story. Mary 
comes in with a bottle of ointment, uh, uh, perfume. And she dumps it on Jesus' feet and she wipes his feet, or wipes her, his feet with her hair. <coughs> now here's the thing you, you don't understand. Um, that ointment was incredibly expensive. It, 300 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. So let me put it in modern day terms for you. Whatever you made this past year in 2016, okay, you spent it all on one bottle of perfume. So if you made $50,000 this past year, you have a $50,000 bottle of perfume sitting on your shelf. It's a lot of money. And Jesus is sitting there, and you decide, you know what? I'm going to take that bottle, and I'm going to pour it not on his head, not on his shoulders, but on his nasty, stinking feet. You've got to have been walking around all over with dust and dirt and mud and everything out. Because, I mean, foot washing, you need to understand, in the Bible time, foot washing was very, very unique because... It was something that you could not even, in some cases, you could not even require your servant to do it. It was considered that nasty a task. Okay? In other words, if you owned a servant, you couldn't command your servant to wash the feet of people that came in. <clears throat> it, was a, it was a nice way. You know how we take off our shoes when we go into people's houses? You know? You know how we, because you know, we do it out of courtesy because we want to track mud and stuff like that in there. Okay? Um, think about it if we were all barefoot. With sandals and all the stuff that gets in your feet and your toes and under your toenails and all that nasty stuff. He, she takes that bottle of perfume, a, a year's worth, of, almost a year's salary, and dumps it on his feet. <clears throat> and Judas can't stay quiet. Here's what he says in John chapter 12 in this passage. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for, 100, or for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said, Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're all about helping people. Why did we just waste all of this money? And notice, John gives us some insight. <clears throat> he said this not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. In other words, John gives us a little insight into Judas, that Judas, Judas was the keeper of the money. Okay? Now, 12 disciples, 11 from Galilee, one from Judea, and they chose Judas to carry the money. And by the way, one of them was a tax collector. He was all about money. So that tells me something about the trust that the other disciples had in Judas. That they trusted him with the money that they collected. Um, now, John gives us some insight that he wasn't concerned about the poor. He was keeping the money, and every once in a while he'd skim a little off for himself. And so he was looking at like, oh, I, you know, I could have like used a new pickup. Um, that would have gone way towards that, you know, so... He gives us that insight. It's interesting, after this story, John chapter 12 goes on to tell us it was at this point then that Judas leaves and goes and meets with the chief priest to try to figure out a way to betray Christ. You see, knowing where Jesus was was never the problem. Everybody always knew where Jesus was. The problem was 
trying to find a time when Jesus was away from the crowd so that they could take him without it being a big deal. And so they needed an inside man to give them that information. So you have that story, which really gives us an insight. And it's at that point that really there is a turning point in the mindset of Judas that for whatever reason, his ambition, his greed, whatever else, it turns into a point where he goes, okay, you know what, I, I'm going to go do something about this. And so uh, Judas, we, we get that insight. We come to John chapter 13, and this is the story of Jesus in the upper room. And uh, this, again, gives us a lot of insight. The Bible says that, that Satan basically enters into the thinking of Judas at this point um, on, on the whole betrayal thing. But what you need to understand in John chapter 13 is that Jesus washed. This is the Last Supper event, okay? First thing Jesus does is he washes their feet. And, and if you'll remember in the passage, he comes to Peter, and he gets ready to wash Peter's feet, and Peter goes, no, no, no you ain't washing my feet. No, 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 no. You're, you're Jesus, son of the living God. There's no way you're washing my feet. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, look, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have anything to do with me. And Peter goes, well, in that case, it's bath time. You know, I mean, you watch all of me then. I only, I'm all in on this thing. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. And listen to what he says. John chapter 13. Uh, Jesus said, he was bathed, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. This is talking about salvation and the idea of of, of uh of uh, confession. And here's the idea. The idea is that you are all clean. You've put your faith and trust in me. You have a relationship with me. The foot washing is an example of us daily dealing with God in our lives and, and asking forgiveness and asking God to help us to walk with him and those kinds of things. And that's kind of what Jesus is illustrating here. But he makes this point where he says, but not all of you are clean, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Because again, as he's, and by the way, you need to remember this. Whose feet is he also going to wash? Judas. Knowing what Judas is about ready to do. Um, and so Judas is there. Jesus washes all of their feet. You go through this little thing. So Jesus kind of gives them a little hint. And then Jesus starts talking. And notice what he goes on to say um, in John chapter 13. Uh, next passage, guys. Uh, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to them, Lord, who is it? And Jesus is telling the disciples, he tells the disciples, look, one of you is going to betray me. And they go, okay, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is him It is him to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So in other words, Jesus says, you know, that Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. They all look at their lives. And then finally, one of them steps, steps up, and we, we think it's John, um, John or Peter, and says, okay, Lord, who is it? Who's going to do it? And now look, at this point, look what Jesus does. He says, it's whoever I give the bread to. He dips it, he gives it to Judas. Now at this point, if you're one of the 11 disciples, the other 11 guys, you're going, he's the guy, right? No. It's not what happened. Notice what happened. Then Jesus, uh, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Jesus looks at him and goes, okay, I know what you're going to do. Go ahead and do it quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said that to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy the things we need for the feast, 
or that he should give something to the poor. Having received a piece of bread, he goes out immediately, and it was night. In other words, when Jesus looks at him, he goes, when are you going to betray me? It's whoever I give the bread to. Hands a piece of bread to Judas, and he looks at Judas and says, now you go out, whatever you're going to do, you go do quickly. And Judas gets up to leave, and the disciples go going, oh, okay, hey, he's probably got to go take care of the bill for this dinner or set up where we're going to meet tomorrow night or take care of some stuff. And, you know, he's just going to go about doing the business stuff. Not one of them. It just didn't click. There's something very, very interesting. You know what happens next at the Passover? The Lord's Supper. Now Jesus breaks bread, communion, and has communion with the disciples before they go out towards Gethsemane. Very significant here. Okay, rabbit trail, and then I'm off. There's so many rabbit trails I could go on. I'm just going to go quick, and then uh, rabbit trail, and then quick. Judas is not present for the Lord's Supper. It was only for the people who were clean. And it was only for the people who had examined themselves. Because when Jesus said, what of you will betray me? Every one of them said, Lord, is it I? So it's a, it's a subtle little thing, but there's an important thing in here. When Jesus goes to have the Lord's Supper, we're now with just the disciples who are following. Judas is not in the scene. And all of the people who are there for the Lord's Supper have examined their lives and really looked at their relationship to the Lord. So that gives us some insight there, okay? Um, going on. Um, as we go, uh, you now come to the actual betrayal. Uh, John chapter 18. Here's what happened. Um, I'm going to read it. You, I mean, you know this, but um, Judas having received a detachment of troops, that's a very significant statement. Depending on who you read, a detachment could have been as many as 600 soldiers. He may have had just a small group, but he could have had as many as 600 soldiers with him. So he received a detachment of troops. And officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, they come marching in because Judas basically goes to them and says, Hey, guys, look, um, Judas had already dealt with them and said, You know, I'll betray him for 30 pieces of silver. That's significant because that was the price of a slave. So that's all the money you could get from him. So he, he says, look, here's where he's going to be. They go to the garden. Jesus is there. And, and again, notice what happens. He said, and Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? So this whole group comes marching in, and Jesus doesn't go to the back. Jesus goes to the front, and he says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I'm he. And Judas who betrayed him stood also with him. Now when he said that, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. In other words, they're ready for a fight. And they come up there ready to fight, and Jesus goes, who are you looking for? They go, Jesus of Nazareth. He goes, that's me. And they're like, okay, now we're ready to go now. It takes them by surprise. Notice what it goes on to say. Uh, verse uh, 7. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I've told you that I'm he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these men go the way. He looked back and he says, okay, look, this is about me. You don't need these guys. You just let them go. You want me? Here I am. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I've lost none. He's like, I, I, I'm not here to fight you. you. You want me? Here I am. Okay. Listen to Matthew's version of this. Go to the next passage, guys. 
Now his betrayer had given him a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And by the way, this idea kissed him. And in, 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 um, most of us think it's like a peck on a cheek kind of thing. The, the word here has the idea of a long embrace. So it's almost one. That's why some people believe that this was like Judas trying to bring the kingdom into thing. It wasn't necessarily bad. Thing. Where he embraces Christ for a long time and he says, Rabbi. And he kisses him on the cheek. Notice Jesus' response. Friend, why have you come? Friend, why have you come? Why are you here, Judas? Now, that's not the response of most of us. But we're not God. And Jesus here looks at Judas and says, Friend, why have you come? And you know the rest of the story. They take him away. They have an unfair trial. They end up crucifying him. What happens in the life of Judas is, is significant in that short amount of time because Judas at some point, and I think really probably this may have been the turning point when Jesus looked at him and called him friend and really gets him to look at his heart. And Judas can't handle the pressure. He goes back to the chief priest. He gives him the 30 pieces of silver back. They go, we don't want it. It's blood money. We can't go put it in the treasury. So they actually go out and buy, at some point they buy a potter's field. That's Zechariah. Um, they go out and buy a potter's field. Judas can't handle the guilt. So the Bible says that Judas went and hung himself. Um, if you know anything about hanging, the whole idea of hanging is that as you, as, as, as it snaps your neck and you die pretty much instantly. In Judas's case, for some, whatever reason, the rope breaks. Uh, the rope breaks or whatever else, and the text says that he falls into the valley and literally splits his, his gut wide open um, and dies a horrible death that way. And at some point, they believe then that the chief priest went and bought that field uh, where he died, and it was known as a potter's field from that point on. Here's the thing. Some people go, well, I think... And Judas, one of the things that he says is, I betrayed innocent blood. And some people go, well, that was Judas coming back to the Lord or coming to the Lord. And, and I don't think that's true. And here's why I don't think that's true. Judas wasn't repentant. Judas didn't go back to the disciples and ask forgiveness. Judas didn't go back and try to make things right. Judas just couldn't handle the guilt. Here's something to think about for a second, because this is, this is, this is the irony of this. Judas never witnessed the resurrection. Had Judas hung around a little bit longer, had Judas maybe tried to make it right with the disciples, Judas would have been with the disciples when Jesus met with them. Judas never got to experience the resurrection. He took his life before that happened. It's, it's ironic, I think. There are a lot of lessons that we can learn from this guy. Um, so let me go through them very quickly. First one. You can be in the presence of Jesus and not possess Jesus. 
I mean, here's a guy who, for three years, he saw the miracles. He went along with them everywhere he went. He slept with them. He ate with them. He watched everything that happened with Jesus. He was in the presence of Jesus. He had seen Jesus at the most intimate moments because G Judas knew the schedule of Jesus. When the, when the chief priest wanted to find a quiet time that, that, that Jesus was apart from everybody, Judas goes, yeah, I know exactly when that will be. I know, the, I know his schedule. I know his routine. I mean, they're going to do the Last Supper thing. They're going to go out to Gethsemane. It's just going to be a small little group. That's the time to get it. He was intimately involved with the life of Jesus and the disciples. They never suspected him. He looked like them. He acted like them. He was, he, if you stood back and you look at all 12 of them and go, which one's going to betray Jesus? He didn't stand out. He was able to blend in without actually possessing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that's a, that's a great reminder to each of us to look at our own hearts. To be careful about saying, because I act, outwardly act like a believer means that I possess Christ. No, there's got to be something inside. There's got to be something personal where you have made a commitment to Jesus Christ within your heart and life. It has to be real in your heart, not just on the outside. And that is so important for us to understand. And, and Judas is a great reminder for each of us to examine our own hearts before the Lord and say, you know what? Jesus is real, and it is personal. And I have put my faith and trust in Christ, and I am trusting Christ for my salvation. That becomes so important for each of us to do. Um, because it is possible to look, act, function like a Christian and not be a Christian. Okay, and Judas is a great reminder of that. Um, let me take a little bit of rabbit trail just for a second because this kind of goes into some of this. Here in, in, in this church, we believe that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone through grace. We don't believe you can earn it. We don't believe anything you've got to do in order to have salvation with Christ. We believe it's a personal relationship between you and God. Never change. That's what we believe. We don't believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. Okay? We do believe that when Jesus teaches, he teaches that we ought to be baptized in obedience to Christ. We believe that baptism is an outward sign of something that's happened inwardly. That's what we believe. For some of you who struggle with your salvation, can I suggest something to you maybe to consider? There is something public about baptism where you put a stake in the ground, so to speak, and let people know publicly what has happened privately. Um, and I think it's important. I think it's important, first of all, because God says to do it. But I think it's also important for you individually to be able to say, you know what? And most people that I've talked to, they, I, I, you don't ever want to trust your baptism, but the baptism becomes a defining mark, so to speak, of what has happened privately, much like when I got married. You know, I don't celebrate the first day that I met my wife. We celebrate our, our, our wedding day. 
when we stood in front of a group of people and said, this is what we are. We're committed to each other. This is who we are. We are married. For better? And the other thing. Uh, you know? In health and the other stuff. You know, we're in it together. And, and we didn't do that. You know, it wasn't like I said, okay, you know, honey, and I know some of you did this. You know, honey, let's just go like just a piece. We're not going to tell anybody. It's going to be like a big secret, and we're not going to let everybody know. And somebody asks, yeah, we kind of got married. Um, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we kind of make a stake in the ground. We kind of put a, a date down and go, okay, this is when I became public. I want everybody to know we are married. Baptism is the same way. Kind of put a stake in the ground. And i got to let everybody know, you know what? Here's my testimony. This is what God's done in my heart. I want you to know it. And there's something about the act of baptism, if you will, that helps us put that stake in the ground. Just like we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe in the body of Jesus Christ which was broken for us and the blood which was shed for us. But every Sunday in here, what do we do? We do something physical. We take a cup and we take a wafer as a reminder, as a public act of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the same way, baptism is kind of a deal where we do that as well. And, and I just want to challenge you with that because sometimes... It's funny, a lot of people that, that I touch that really struggle sometimes with their salvation, when we deal with it, it's like, well, yeah, I've never done that. I've never been baptized. I've never, never taken that step. I just want to challenge you with that. Think about it. Because um, I, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, and I was baptized when I was unsaved. Then I got saved and got baptized again. So, you know, um, I've, I've been baptized like twice. Uh, really once, but first time was practice run. But, uh, I mean, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, and I just want to challenge you with that way. I want to challenge you to think about that. Second thing, I think, in the life of Judas that that we see, and um, this, is, this, is, this is a reminder as well. We're all one step away from a bad decision. Uh, I think sometimes it's easy to be really hard on Judas and go, you know, I would have never done that. I would have never betrayed Jesus. We're talking about this in Sunday school. I don't think you understand how wicked the human heart is. We're all, as we're learning in Sunday school, we're all a hot mess. Okay? Or an attractive disaster. That's another term. Um, we're all in the process of growing. We're all in the process of, 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 of God working in our lives. And we have to understand that sometimes it's easy to be critical of other people and what they're doing or what they're not doing, but that's not the goal. The goal is for us to look at our own lives. And the goal in the life of Judas is to make each of us examine our own hearts and our own lives before God, and that, that's important. Okay. A, second, a third thing in the, in, in the life of Judas I think that stands out is this, and, and this is the thing that I really wrestle with. The patience and love that Jesus Christ that you see is overwhelming here. 
And there's some of you this morning that you may think, you know what, my life's so messed up, or, you know, God couldn't forgive me, or I've, I've, I've dropped the ball so many times, I don't even want to carry it anymore. And there's, there's a lot of people that struggle that way. You need to remember this. Jesus loved, worked with, prayed with, hung with Judas all the way to the end. The last words that Jesus ever spoke to Judas were the words, friend. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care how big a mess you've made. I don't care how bad you think it is. If Jesus can go all that way with Judas, your deal's a walk in the park. And don't think you can't be a part of what he wants to do in your life. Don't think he'll abandon you or he's pushed you away or, or whatever. He is standing there saying to you, friend, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And the last lesson, and I think is one for all of us, it's the idea that, you know what, no matter how bad a situation, no matter how dark, no matter how difficult, God can make good come out of it. You see, Judas' betrayal of Christ ends up taking Jesus to the cross. But it also ends up with Jesus coming out of a tomb and a resurrection. So as bad as that situation was, God made good come out of it. As bad as your situation is, and you look at it and you go, you know what, God could have stopped it, God could have changed it, God should have done this, and God should have done that. I, I get all of that, and we can say the same thing with Judas. But the bottom line is Judas made a choice, and God took that choice and made something good come out of it. And whatever situation you're up against where you go, you know, it's just a mess, and I don't see how any good can come out of this. Your God is too small. Because the God of the Bible can make good come out of any situation. And I can't tell you the number of people where I we have sat and we've talked, and they've been at a crossroads where literally the, the bottom has fallen out of their lives, and... And, and they're at rock bottom, and I've looked at them, and I've said, look, what I'm going to say to you right now is going to be the craziest thing in all the world. And you're going to think I've lost my mind. But I said, if you will try to use this in order to grow as a Christian and let God work really here, there will be a day that you will look back on this time and you will realize that this, as crazy as it sounds, was probably one of the best things that ever happened to you. Because it was a turning point where God came to the forefront and did some incredible things in your life. And I said, now's not the time to embrace that because you don't, you're not going to get that. And it's amazing to me. I've watched people come back years later and go, you know what? When you said that, I thought, I thought you had lost your mind. But looking back now, I can see how God orchestrated it and used it in a great way. I wouldn't want to go through it again. But I look at where I am now, and I look at what God has done, 
and I'm grateful. And I can see how God used it, as dark as it was, to turn something bad into something good. Judas is a great reminder of that. He's a great reminder of that. So I close with this this morning. I close with this idea. Judas Iscariot is a reminder to look at our heart and not just our actions. It's possible to follow Christ and not possess Christ. Judas is also a reminder of the incredible patience of a God who loves us. And a reminder that God can use any situation to bring glory to his name. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Ah, oh, Lord, uh, it's a lot easier to talk about the other 11 guys. But, uh, Lord, all of these guys are here for a reason. And all of them are lives and lessons that we can learn from. So, Lord, help those who are struggling this morning. Would you encourage them? For those who may hear, be here this morning, Lord, and never possess, they don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help them to understand how important it is that they have their faith and trust in you? Lord, for those who are struggling because of situations that, Lord, they, they just don't see how you could love them or, or, or work things out, Lord, would you encourage their hearts today? Lord, would you help them to understand that, uh, Lord, we have a friend in Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that you would use each of us. And, Lord, as those situations come up that are hard and difficult and dark, and, and Lord, it, it, sometimes it's hard to see light at the end of the tunnel, may we be able to understand that no matter what situation we endure, no matter what situation we go through, you can bring good and you can be honored and glorified through any of it. So just help us to trust. And Lord, use us this week. When it is all said and done, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in our lives. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together and we're going to sing Cleanse Me. Let's sing the first verse, Cleanse